Hey, welcome to Queer Diagnosis. My name is Zaria and my pronouns are she, her, hers. Hello, I'm your co-host Shrita. My pronouns are also she, her, hers. And our first guest today is Dr. Valjean Bacot Davis, who is a third year medical student at the Renaissance School of Medicine at Stony Brook University. Zaria, do you remember how we met Valjean? Uh, back in March, there was a meeting for a club that I wasn't a part of. I heard there was food, so I asked Shrita to go with me and wait outside. It turned out that I was the only person who represented the club along with nine medical students. Valjean was one of the medical students who witnessed me and Shrita kidnapping the family trip eggplant parmesan from the meeting that turned out okay. Months later, I came across the website for LGBTQ plus care at Stony Brook Medicine and saw Valjean featured and decided to reach out. Valjean, could you please introduce yourself with your preferred pronouns? Hi, my name is Valjean Bacot-Davis. I'm I don't know if I'm technically a second or third year medical student. Things have been weird with COVID with uh, them keeping us going through the summer. But let's just say I'm starting my clinical soon. And um, my preferred pronouns are he, him, his. Great. And you just mentioned that you're starting your surgery clerkship soon. I was wondering if you plan on asking fellow providers and patients for their preferred pronouns. I've met individuals who become apprehensive when asked for their pronouns as an EMT. Um, so I'm not really sure if it's socially acceptable yet to ask patients in particular. What do you think? That's a great question. Um, I feel two ways about it. I have pronoun pins. So I think wearing my pen as well as like the rainbow sticker or like a trans lanyard really helps open the door for conversation for people who want to have that conversation. But I also worked as an EMT and I did confuse a lot of people um, by asking them their preferred pronouns. And I feel like that kind of interrupted our our, um, I guess, our care relationship. So I just hope that my pin's enough, even though I would prefer to ask everyone. I think that's interesting. When you say it affected your care relationship in a poor way, in a good way? Um. Okay, so I also volunteered on a needle exchange van in Albany, where we would uh, work with people who are using intravenous drugs, you know, just give them clean needles, no questions. And I remember they changed the form where we had to ask everyone their pronouns. And I asked this one older white gentleman his pronouns and he got offended. Like basically, can't you see I'm a man? Like I was questioning his masculinity and I guess part of patriarchy, his virility to some extent. So he got really upset and just like took the needles and left in a huff. So that was not the best time to ask someone their pronouns. And then, yeah, I've had people open up about how they're like more non-binary and uh, they're happy I asked them because no one else asked them. Uh, this is a teenager and their parents didn't really acknowledge their non-binariness. So I've had it work out both ways where some people are happy and some people are very angry. I think that's pretty good for me to know too because I, I haven't, <laughs> I've experienced that myself too when I ask a patient for their pronouns. They, they get very confused about what I'm asking for, and then I have to explain what pronouns are, um, especially with some of the older population that I've met with. Um, so do you recommend wearing pronoun your pronoun pins now, like as you're going into your clerkship? That's oh, definitely. I plan to. Um, it's a bit harder with surgery because everything has to be sterile in your scrubs. Um, but when I'm outside of, I guess, the OR and like say rounding on patients, I plan on wearing my pronoun pin. And what about with providers? Have you ever had that conversation with them as well as to why you're wearing the pin? Um, not with providers. I would say as far as uh, the internal medicine pediatrics group, they tend to have done a training on gender identity. And so they kind of understand why I'm wearing the pins. It's uh, 
a hit or miss. Some of the newer residents from other institutions haven't had the training yet, so they're a bit more confused, especially about they, them pronouns. But I would say all the attendings, uh, they also wear like rainbow pins because they've had the training where they've like handed them out before. It's nice to have a lot of good allies in Stony Brook. You mentioned that like, so like on the forums, it like has you ask like the patients for pronouns and stuff. Do you feel like right now, like most forums kind of take into account like different gender expressions? I know Stony Brook just changed their electronic health records to add they, them mm -hmm. pronouns or just like, just leaving it blank. Um, I think that's okay. happened over the summer actually. So there's a way to go in. There's a way to go in and put someone's preferred name as well. The only right. thing I don't like about the system currently is like on all the paperwork, it's gonna print out their legal name and on their like wristband for when they're being admitted, it's gonna print out their legal name. So I wish there were a way to like add their preferred name to that documentation as well. Okay, yeah, that's cool. Is there another improvement along, like how would you enforce that improvement and how do you see that being implemented in the future? Yeah, that's a good question too. Um, whenever I was living in Wisconsin, my family doctor had my preferred name. It was before I legally changed my name and like parentheses and everyone just worked off that. And it also had like the phonetic um, pronunciation. So like the spelling and phonetic pronunciation. So I liked that their system had that. So a system like that, even though I prefer the legal name to be the one in parentheses instead of the preferred name, because the parentheses is kind of like, right. oh, and maybe call them this. And it's like, no, it should be like bolded what someone's preferred name is. Yeah. Okay. I'm even thinking about the paperwork that we, for as an EMT, like we don't have the we have physical copies of the paperwork, not really the digital. Um, mm -hmm. And there's not even an option for preferred names. So I couldn't even ask that. I mean, I could ask that question and potentially have that miscommunication. Um, but I really wish that there was a system for us to do that as well. Yeah. And yeah. Even, oh, yeah. 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 The one that electronic. Well, we actually had electronic records in Albany when I was working for a Mohawk ambulance but they didn't have a place for a preferred, for preferred name either. You could put it in parentheses if you want, but then you might confuse people later on. And then for gender, they had male, female, and for, I guess, quote, other genders, you just left them both blank. And they were like, we'll figure it out later. So, I mean, that was their workaround at the time. I think the newer systems are like, have more options available, which is good. So when yeah. you're filling out paperwork, do you ask, like when you're filling out specifically like gender, do you do it based off apparent gender or do you always ask for gender? Because I know you mentioned sometimes you might not ask, but with non-binary patients, you do somehow get that question in. Right. Um, I would say it depends for like, you normally have a history of these patients so you can go back to their charts and like see what else has been entered. And um, I guess whenever I was doing uh, whenever I was doing my immersion with pediatric endocrinology, I would specifically ask, but I would normally have to have some kind of hints that this should be a question I ask. But I know Dr. Ellisby, I think she asks all her patients uh, their preferred name, preferred pronouns, and it takes like a second. And uh, most of the youth <laughs> know what you're getting at. It's not awkward for them to answer either way. So what does queer mean to you? Uh, queer, to me personally, because I know it's like 
it means a different thing to pretty much everybody. But to me personally, it means that I'm some kind of minority, whether it be gender or sexual orientation, or I don't fit neatly into a box. So it could be the LGBTQ, like all that encompasses queer, but maybe like I'm non-binary or maybe I'm pansexual and there's like, I don't really feel represented by those few letters. So then I have to like either explain I'm pansexual or that I'm queer. It's just like you're a minority of some kind according to a heterosexual patriarchal dominant society. Do you use that term yourself, queer? Yes, I identify as queer because I think it's the fastest way for people to know I'm a member of the LGBTQ community because some people read me, like before I transitioned, a lot of people read me as a lesbian. After I transitioned, a lot of people read me as a gay man, which is hilarious to me. So I think a lot of people don't really know where I fit. If I, if I just say I'm queer, then they know I'm one of those, but I don't want to put myself in a box most of the time either. And for our audience who doesn't know what you mean by transitioning, would you mind explaining if you're comfortable? Sure. So um, I was assigned female at birth and um, I guess from a young age, people could kind of tell that I guess I was more tomboyish, more like drawn to traditionally masculine things. And then whenever I was an undergrad, I came out as non-binary and then later on as a transgendered male, like identify as a male. And I started hormone replacement therapy now for about 10 years and I socially transitioned to change my name as well. I do want to note that um... I was actually telling a friend I was really excited about like having you specifically as a guest because uh, I remember that you were really great during that meeting in March when we were stealing eggplant parmesan. Uh, but just in general, my friend just had top surgery and I was like, yeah, we actually like we're hosting someone who is also trans. And they were really excited to see that, you know, they're not alone in this. Yeah, sometimes it does feel very lonely because, you know, um, you just have to go jump through so many metal hoops to be your authentic self if you do want to have surgery if you do want to start hormones which can be isolating and uh it was nice to meet other I guess trans elders trans siblings who kind of helped me figure out the process along the way how did you find those individuals well I was very involved in the LGBTQ centers that I was at at the time like I went I did my undergrad at Duke so then I found my way there and it took a lot of courage because I grew up in a very conservative like family. So it's like, oh, I don't know who I'm going to meet there, what they're going to be like, who's going to see me there. I was like very nervous. But I'm glad I went and met a lot of good people there. And then I did my graduate studies in Wisconsin and I found the LGBTQ Center there. And that's where I like really met my first trans male like friend. And then I basically figured out what it meant to be trans. And I was like, you know, that really, that fits me more than anything else. So he kind of helped me, uh, I guess, embrace my identity and figure out the process to get what I wanted done. Yeah, I think that's pretty encouraging for, like, I know that at Stony Brook University, for instance, we do have the LGBTQ plus center that they put out a lot of videos. And I'm surprised that I've heard about this pretty much in orientation and newsletters. Uh, we actually even had, I used to be in charge of our hall council and we had a, um, we hosted a meeting for individuals who are misgendering uh, because I heard that it was something that was happening pretty often. And also um, 
as part of hall council, I used to spend a lot of time in our lounge, and I heard the word gay being thrown around pretty loosely, and I don't think that individuals uh-huh. really recognize that, um, you know, for some people, it's it may be out of good humor, but it doesn't register it like that. So if you, like, if you were in that situation where you're hearing the word gay being thrown around pretty loosely, and whether that be, like, specifically in the workplace, I suppose, what would you recommend? What would you do? Um, well, I read a good article about how basically patients might also be using language that's derogatory to, you know, how you identify. And <laughs> the paper had like three or four different ways to approach it. But my the method I think fits better with my personality is to just say, oh, I, I'm surprised you like feel comfortable. You think it's appropriate to use that language around me just to let them know that I don't feel comfortable with it and that there are probably other people who also don't feel comfortable with them using that term in that way. And it's a nice way to kind of make them just think about it instead of just saying you're a horrible, mean person by using that language. What's usually the response? Um, usually it's just, oh, and then they kind of say, oh, I didn't mean it that way. They always kind of rationalize it, but then at least you set that boundary that if, even if they think it's okay when they're around you, to think twice about using it. Yeah, because I'm actually in a similar position right now in um, in the workplace where I'm at, and I don't. It's so many people who use it, and I feel like I'm the odd one out who would say something of that sort. But I really want to, so I think that's really encouraging to me that there is a. I'm definitely going to use that in the future. Is what I mean to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, Oh, so can you tell me about a patient that you chose to disclose your identity with and tell me about a patient who you felt would change their opinion of you for the worse if you did? Sure. So um, I'm in the three-year program, so we had an eight to 10-week immersion in our specialty of choice. So I'm medicine and pediatrics combined. So I did half adult, half pediatrics. So whenever I was with pediatric endocrinology, um, I was with an attending who like loves to work with trans youth. Um, and so whenever I was with her, she um, was working with a trans male adolescent who was just starting hormone replacement therapy, which is super exciting to me. So I remember how exciting my first shot was. So we were running about an hour and a half behind. A lot of people were upset. So I was like, oh, can I just go in with him and like just chat with him about what to expect? Because he was there just to learn how to give himself a shot and do it for the first time. So I went in there and disclosed like basically the instant I was in there and asked him if he had any questions, you know, just about, I guess, like non-medical things or medical things like what what to expect that certain providers might not know about. So that was fun. And I he really appreciated it. He was there with his dad. His dad really appreciated it. It made me feel really great to help. And as far as um, a patient that it would change their opinion of me. Um, I would also say on the pediatric side, some parents will disclose that uh, they're not really comfortable with the LGBTQ community. And in that way, um, you know, like I go in with like a rainbow one. So in a way they're already kind of telling me like to be wary of them. Um, So that's always kind of awkward too. You know, you just go in there, you do your exam, you do everything you have to do, but you say, oh, I'm probably not going to make a personal connection like I do with some other patients with this particular patient and their family. 
I think it's pretty bold that somebody would see that pin and then still tell you that. That's a very uncomfortable position to be in. I don't understand. Well, has there ever been a parent who asked to switch providers because of that? Um, There have been people who have just asked me to wait outside because as a medical student, you know, the attendings like it if you're there, but the patient has a choice if you're there or not. So if they feel more comfortable without me in there, they'll ask me just to wait outside. And then normally the attending I'm with will like apologize and say, oh, you know, but wait outside and we'll talk about the case later. And that's the best you can get out of that situation. Yeah. And I also know in general, too, like as a medical student, I'm sure some people in general just they're like, oh, well, they're medical students. So maybe we'll put them outside. (laughs) Yeah, that's true, too. You'll get the patient who just doesn't want to deal with medical students at all. Yeah, you have to take that gracefully as well. (laughs) Yeah. So are there any blind spots that you see in medicine that your peers may not as it relates to being transgender? Well, yeah, definitely. Um, So for my class, we we do these like practice patients. And one of the scenarios is that the patient was trans. And I picked up on it right away. They had their preferred name and uh, their legal name back to back. And there were some students in my class who didn't really get the premise that the patient was trans. And then if the patient, I think, I believe the patient was a trans woman. So they were confusing like a trans woman with a trans man. Like they didn't really know the difference and they didn't know any of the terminology for the surgeries. So I was just surprised that, you know, in 2020, 2021, there could be young adults, older adults who didn't know like more about the community. Um, So that's definitely a blind spot. And I'm glad they had us go through that, through that process um, to hopefully remediate some people's lack of knowledge as far as that goes. And as far as providers go, um, I have an eight month old and we're raising them non-binary. And one of the pediatrician residents didn't really understand we're using they, them pronouns and kept misgendering our baby. But then when we came back, like three months later, he was using they, them. So I'm glad that he actually took the time to, you know, probably practice and help. And uh, yeah, that was nice to see some changes happening. But that was another blind spot. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like like the curriculum and that you've sort of been studying, like that it adequately kind of covers like different sexualities and different gender expressions so that like, the next, I guess, generation of like providers are going to be better prepared? Um, Unfortunately, no, but I would say our class is trying and the class before us is trying. This really comes out for our endocrine and reproductive course where they didn't even have like a slide, or I would say it starts with anatomy. Basically, first day starts with anatomy where I would prefer a slide to say that, you know, gender is a spectrum, but for the sake of anatomy, we're going to call this male and this female. But we know that there's like a wide range out there. But there was nothing there. You just come in, this is a male, this is a female, which is surprising to me. And a lot of other students like drafted like proposal changes about how to change their course to be more inclusive. So hopefully, you know, the faculty okay. we have to take seriously and, you know, make some changes, but we'll see. It's encouraging that you guys are proactive about this. I'm actually surprised that you guys, that you mentioned the, um, like just having a patient who was a trans woman and people weren't understanding that because 
personally, like when I was in high school, that was my first exposure to like the LGBT community in general. And I'm, I'm mm -hmm. from New York, so I imagine that for people who are from states that maybe aren't, well, I shouldn't say states, but uh, from places that are a bit more conservative and don't have the exposure, I'm sure it would be a transition for them as well, uh, but not one that can't be amended by reading up on the topic. So definitely. Yeah, in our ethics course, we read a paper about how basically exposure to the community makes people more understanding. And I mean, as a member of the community, it seems like extra work that I don't always want to do. But it's nice to know that, you know, basically seeing more people like us does help some people come around. You know, maybe they grew up a certain way and that's all they do. And so exposure is something different changes their mind, which is promising. You said that it feels like work that you have to do. Why does it feel like it falls onto you? <laughs> I, well, I said it's work I sometimes don't want to do. Like work that falls on me. I just feel like being a member of the community, I, I know so many stories and you just have a specialized knowledge that you can either share with people or keep to yourself. And for me, um, I feel like I, I personally need to share it the best way to get through the day so that maybe people don't have to go through what I went through because you know I want to quote like leave the world a better place but it's like really authentic for me where I don't want people to mm -hmm. have to like suffer, jump through the same hoops that I had to get to where I'm from. So what is something that people tend to misunderstand about you when you like as a medical student and uh, when you see that people are perhaps being mistreated because they don't understand that identity? No, I'm sorry, repeat the question one more time. <laughs> sure. uh, what's something that your fellow uh, medical students under misunderstand about you uh, while you are trying to explain to them, you know, this is the best approach for a patient who is transgender, for instance? Um, yeah, I would say I was surprised by people who just don't understand respecting pronouns. Like, I wouldn't think it would be a discussion to say this person's preferred pronouns are female so use them but it has been and some people don't get it and then I explained to them like how would you feel if someone kept misgendering you and then they normally fall in the two categories they, they say oh it wouldn't affect me at all so for those people and I just start misgendering them on purpose and then they realize that it, most of them realize it really does affect them and it is important and then they change their behavior later and other people they get it automatically, like right away. And I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't like that at all. And um, yeah, it's it's a person to person dependent thing. But I would say that's the main thing that also surprised me because it's not hard to use someone's preferred pronouns or at least try to practice it. But some people don't want to. Yeah, I mean, I I'm in a class right now uh, called gender theory, or actually, I'm sorry, feminist theory. And my professor has pronouns uh, they them. And I've, mm -hmm. I'm in the class with my younger brother, who it's his first exposure to someone with uh, pronouns they, them, and he's really struggling with the grammar of it. So he's saying, mm -hmm. I, he's, he's trying his best, but I see, like for instance, my friends, for instance, identify as they, them. So I've had that exposure for close to two or three years now. And for me, it's not something odd to do, but I see that my brother, who I guess his school didn't really have as many uh, individuals who identify as trans, or really just don't have as um, visible a queer community. They, he, he's not really sure how to approach it and he feels really bad about misgendering. 
but I see that he's making that effort. Uh, and I don't think I've met somebody who's ever been opposed to, you know, using the correct pronouns. But I also think it goes back to that conversation of, do you ask for preferred pronouns? Because as soon as you do, for instance, uh, with those people who are throwing around the word gay around the workplace, they feel like they're being seen and they feel like they, like you could see that there's a change in their behavior. Mm -hmm. So I definitely see what you're saying. Um, So when it comes back to disclosing your identity uh, with certain patients, what does physician privacy mean to you? Well, physician privacy means to me personally that like it's your choice how much you disclose with your, I'm just going to turn off my email. There we go. Okay. It's your choice. Um, Basically, it means to me that it's your choice who you're going to disclose to, how open you're going to be with your patients. And um, I had a family physician who was identified as a gay man, but basically didn't tell anyone of his like um any of his patients unless he knew you're also a part of the lgbtq community so i thought that was interesting other people don't come out at all to their patients um and i want to say that i've observed it to be a generational thing whereas normally like the older um providers who identify as like gay men normally aren't as open and a lot of the younger providers are completely open about it. And I guess it depends on like how out you are to your family because not everyone's completely out to their family. Um, yeah, there's so many different factors. But for me personally, I actually, this is an interesting thing I don't tell most people, but I lived as what's called stealth for about a year where after I transitioned, I didn't tell anybody. I like got a new job. I moved to Canada, a completely different country. Um, got a new friend network, no one knew. And I won't get into like what basically forced me to come out besides to say like some sexist stuff, obviously. But for a year I lived without telling anyone and it was very different. Like people saw me differently. And, um, but I prefer my life being out and open and cause it is a big part of who I am and what I wanna do. I wanna work with the LGBTQ community, so. Um, yeah, I'm glad I'm out again, I guess, for the second, third time. <laughs> Good. Um, thank you for sharing that with us. I mean, I think that that's so important, even just hearing about, like, what, of course, it's your preference to say, like, to come out, but the fact that you feel like you're, you're happier being out, is that a good way to phrase it, that you are, like, you feel more comfortable being yeah. out? And also, you said that you went, Yeah. I was going to say it's definitely less mental work because whenever you go stealth, like you have to like change bits of your past Um, just because like, you know, you're raised as a different gender. You probably had experiences based on being raised that gender. So when people ask you later on, you like have to change a lot of the bad history, which I mean, for me, it felt like lying or manipulating the truth. Um, And yeah, I just didn't like doing that after a point it was it was too much of a mental effort to do all of that stuff when you say that you move I'm trying to imagine this like uprooting everything from all you said you're from Albany originally oh no I'm from Atlanta Georgia originally um Mm -hmm. Atlanta to North Carolina to Wisconsin then to Canada then to Albany so I like bounced all over wow okay well when you were in Canada and no one I guess that when you 
presented as male to individual, like just, I guess, the general population, uh, general public, I should say. I'm sure you, did anybody really understand that you were transgender? Like, was it something that you just you were like, I'm male and I'm owning this? Or was it more like you felt like you had to explain like the transition period? Um, whenever I moved to Canada and I was presenting as male, most people thought that I was gay or bisexual. And then when I told them I wasn't, they would like lump me with like people like Prince. And like, they would make all kinds of inappropriate jokes about like gayness and bisexuality. Cause I guess in an ironic way, they thought then that I was in the closet by like living self. It was an interesting experience to say the least. But um, yeah, I would say for the most part, people thought I might be a closeted gay male, which is hilarious to me on the inside. Yeah, I remember earlier you mentioned that people thought that you were a lesbian and then when you came out as trans and they thought that you were gay. So I think the transition is like even the way that people phrase <laughs> it. Um, I remember that when I was in high school too, uh, two of my friends came out um, as male. And that was really, I remember that just listening to people's conversations, uh, I guess in the halls about their sexual orientation and guessing. And I was like, do you guys not understand that it's not, there's, they're not even talking about their sexual orientation right now. They're talking about who they are um, in terms of gender. So I, I think that people's lack of knowledge is so surprising sometimes. And especially mm -hmm. that with, in my, again, in my school, there was a big queer community. Our school didn't really do much to, you know, educate others of my class who maybe didn't take the time to learn about, you know, what do these identities mean? And even in college, I think that some people stand away from the LGBTQ plus center and they're like, well, that's that community. It doesn't really affect us. They're their own thing. When in reality, like there's people who identify as queer who maybe might not do that in a public setting because they're afraid of people like that, who they're just kind of like, well, they're in their own place right now. It doesn't really matter what we say apart from them. But I think it's really encouraging that um, I saw that Stony Brook has an out and proud list that's coming up. And I was really excited right. to see that. I think the funny th part of that is um, for the audience who doesn't know what I'm referring to, on the website for LGBTQ plus medicine at Stony Brook, uh, there's a video where Valjean is, if you want to see him in person. <laughs> um, and I I noticed that there was no one on the list. So at first I was really surprised. I was like, wow, this is, uh, I guess no one is out then. And I thought that was surprising because Stanford, on the other hand, has like of quite a few providers listed on there. So I was like, wow, this is quite a statement to make from a university. Yeah. It's true. I mean, so I was on the, I was on the board. We call it the e-board, but basically it's like a student club, the MSPA, Medical Student Pride Alliance. I was the, one of the community outreach chairs for that group at Stony Brook. And finding faculty advisors was difficult. And finding out faculty advisors, I would say, is even more difficult because there are a lot of allies who, like, say, have family or friends who might identify as part of the LGBTQ community. But finding the LGBTQ providers, I know of about two or three. Um, I'm sure there are more, but I was also surprised by that. And I mean, it's a big reason why I also wanted to go into healthcare because I really saw myself represented whether that be, you know, my racial ethnic identity, and then my sexual orientation and my gender identity, like it was just, I just never saw myself anywhere. So 
I wanted to be part of a change to make, I guess, healthcare more diverse, more representative of the communities that are part of it. Has any physician come out to you when you disclose your identity? I know that might be a rare chance, but just wondering. Um, no, besides the family physician, like I, I told the nurse practitioner I was trans during my first meeting with her and she was like, oh, you know, that doctor is actually identifies as gay and he would love for you to come shadow. Like once I told her and then it was like, oh, great, I'm going to be very supportive. But that was the only instance. It's never happened after that or before that. Do you feel like that affects your, like, have you ever met any physicians who are conservative and might treat you differently because of that identity? Because I know that we kind of hit upon it a few different times before, but specifically, like, that provider doesn't feel comfortable with you? Yes. Um, I was recently looking for another endocrinologist because I changed my healthcare and the first endocrinologist that I was referred to, I scheduled my appointment. I got the referral from my primary care doctor. The day I was supposed to be there, maybe an hour before I was going to drive out there, I get a call from one of the receptionists and she's like, oh, I see, like, why do you want to see this doctor? I tell her because it was already documented on the referral. She's like, oh, that doctor doesn't actually see trans patients. And I was like, you mean there's an endocrinologist who doesn't see trans patients? Like, the last I checked, a lot of hormones had to do with the endocrine system. Like, I was a bit snarky over the phone, but she basically said that provider didn't feel comfortable, wasn't going to see me. That day, had to, like, change my endocrinologist to another one, who luckily I saw about an hour or two after my the original time for my appointment. But I was just super shocked that in this day and age, there can be endocrinologists who are still not comfortable treating trans patients. Like, there's a standards of care, you can find online, you can just read it, you can talk to other endocrinologists who do it more regularly. It's not rapid science, you know, and you have your medical degree, it's like lifelong learning, but it's like some people just refuse to want to pretend, like it just quote makes them uncomfortable if they don't want to work with a certain community. I'm really sorry that you had that experience. And also I'm really glad that you were snarking on the phone because they deserve that and so much more. <laughs> I think that's kind of, I feel like if there's an out and proud list, there should be an opposite list where it's like, these people are, we do not interact list, you know? And I, right. think, I think that's such a scary experience. Um, my, uh, the friend that I mentioned earlier, who is also transgender, they, they were telling me about how like they had to change their, pretty much all their doctors because the physicians that they were seeing originally were pretty unaccepting and they just didn't really understand that they had transitioned and they refused to like adjust their approach even though they had been like their pediatrician from birth so it's very oh, disappointing wow. to see yeah right. but they're happier yeah. now <laughs> they're a lot happier now because I, I think that once you start to see people in your community and that's partially why I wanted to do the podcast as well uh you start to realize like oh I'm not alone in this and there's other people that I can reach out to um I was actually kind of worried for this first episode, too, of, um, you know, how am I even going to find people who are comfortable talking about this? And the fact that, you know, you are an individual who does identify as trans, but you're also such a baller in terms of, you know, medical school. You know, you're on this website. And I remember reading you for the first time, too. I was like, you are so composed and you seem like you're so on top of your game. And I'm sure that you are. 
and I, uh, I'm really excited for your surgical clerkship for you, but also for, um, <laughs> and just in general, it's nice to know that there's other people. Yeah. Um, so if you were to go back to your pre-med self, what would you tell them? Oh, <laughs> um, I would probably tell myself that, um, basically to get more healthcare experience any way I could, you know, back then I was all about just being in the library, reading a lot of science books, which of course is great, but like a big part of medicine is interacting with people, conversing with people. And uh, if it's not a skill you have naturally, you can develop it over time. So I would just say to like, get out there, maybe talk to people I don't know so well, figure out what makes them tick, what, you know, brings them joy, what makes them sad, because that's going to be a good half of providing medical care, connecting enough for people to tell you what's going on with them. So more practice with that probably. You said that you were an EMT as well during when you were a pre-med student. Do you feel like that's enough? It was afterwards. Oh, that was after. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I was basically doing a lot of bench work, bench science. I got my PhD in microbiology, so less patient-related care. And then I was like, you know, I really miss interacting with people. I don't want to be in the lab, you know, 12 hours a day. So that's why I started working as an EMT to get more hands-on experience in healthcare, like with people. It's kind of, I mean, as an EMT myself too, it's hard to find time to talk to the patient, especially depending on the emergency. So, cause I'm trying to find ways um, to make connections with patients. Cause I, I used to work as a medical scribe about a year ago and it was, you know, you stop by the room, you say, hi, you talk to patients and one thing that came up is actually, in addition to like preferred pronouns, I noticed that some providers, they they were a bit hesitant to not only ask for the patient's gender, but also when you see two people in a room who don't look like each other, for instance, I think that um, like if you see two white, like a white male and a white female who are a bit older, you might assume that they're married and not have to ask what's the relationship. But when you see two people who, you know, a, black patient and a white patient, for instance, I saw then those questions were coming up of, can you explain your relationship to us? Have you ever come across mm -hmm. that as well, where you've seen that change? It's not like a consistent question throughout. Uh, yes, I will say I've seen that where, like you said, if people look alike, people make assumptions if they don't, and then people ask those clarifying questions. I will say that the pediatrics here at Stony Brook asks everyone, which it's kind of annoying for me because I'm like, you should just know. But I get it because it's more equitable since they're asking everyone. <laughs> yeah, so like my relationship with my with my kid, I'll say, so what's your relationship? And you know, like, oh, I'm the father. And it's good that they don't that they don't assume because like maybe I know some trans people who identify as like ma pa or like both or neither, you know, like mother and father. So I'm glad that they're asking because you never know. I guess it's the moral of the story you just never know i haven't heard that term ma pa so is that something that you can write on the form going back to like writing now preferred pronouns is that something else as well oh i guess i'll figure it out when i'm doing my pediatrics officially i mean i would note it in the chart probably like you know patient is here with their ma pa and then like make a note about how their how their parent identifies but i don't think there's like a button you can click 
you can add anything to the note just for people to go through and know in the future but as far as a clickable thing I don't think so okay well definitely keep us updated on um how your clerkship goes and everything else that follows um do you have any questions for us and Shweta do you want to add anything on I was going to say that I'm really excited that you're doing this podcast and um I hope that you find other you know great people to interview going forward and since I was on the e-board for MSPA, like I can also give you the names of other people who might be interested in doing interviews. Uh, yeah, this is very exciting. And thanks for inviting me. Of course. Mm-hmm. It's a good sign because if you're telling us that you might want to invite other people, that means that we did a great job too. Did you guys hear that audience? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. I mean, I guess, I, I, it's, I don't know, I don't want to put too much pressure on like a closing question, I guess, but like in general, do you normally feel like really positive about the way, um, like the, I guess like the healthcare field is moving? <laughs> um, I would say overall <laughs> optimistic. Um, okay. So I'm more optimistic. There's just general talk more about healthcare disparities. You know, mm-hmm. George Floyd, Black Lives Matter. Um, and that's kind of like, so it started on the racial ethnicity and then it's kind of spread out to also include gender identity, um, which I love and LGBTQ community. So I think things are a bit static for a while. And then we're like getting the next like big push where people are right. just like writing memos that they care. They're actually trying to change the system to benefit, yeah. you know, these. Do you feel like because this year has been such a big one in terms of obviously just everything that we've gone through in the medical world and also how we've gone through social progress that it's kind of I guess like kick-started that next push after a little bit of static no I think so I think yeah. 2020 will be remembered for many things but I hope that's one of the positive things that come out of it yeah mm-hmm. yeah also you mentioned Black Lives Matter um this show stands for Black Lives Matter, in case anybody didn't know. So, yeah, <laughs> that's definitely something important. And I think just not to get too deep into it, but um, especially with like COVID and everything and talking about like presentation of patients, uh, presentation of symptoms on different patients who are not all white, for instance. Um, do you have any recommendations of how like a pre-med student like myself could learn more about, I guess, the different factors that go into like health care and like making those decisions like to be more considerate of them yeah I would say what I've really learned over time is um some people get like this label that they're a difficult patient or they don't take their meds they're not adherent to their meds and normally med students or you know EMTs you tend to I guess maybe not in an emergency situation but if you have time to actually sit down with them, ask them why they're not doing these things. Um, in more detail, you can figure out a lot that maybe doctors and the nurses don't have time for. Like for example, whenever I was in EMT in Albany, there was an older black male who kept coming to the um, ER for high or low blood sugar. It was either like either in the 400s or it was like 20, you know, he had no in between. And then Supposedly he was taking his insulin and then I like asked him number one, like what's going on? Number two, do you have an endocrinologist or a primary care doctor to kind of help you figure this out so you're not in the ER like, you know, every day. 
And he basically said he didn't have a primary care doc. So then I found the social worker in the ER and said, this person needs help finding a primary care doctor. So he's not here every day. And, you know, I didn't see him after that. So, I mean, it just takes someone to connect the dots to actually help patients because not everyone has health literacy. Not everyone knows, you know, the steps to go through to get what they need. So if you can help with that in any way, I think that's a positive thing. I think that's a really great story to to share. I mean, I think that's so important that you made a direct impact on someone's healthcare. I mean, hopefully that's what happened, a positive health outcome, since you said that you didn't see the patient ever again. <laughs> um but yeah, I think that's great that you took that initiative and you reached out to that social worker and said, hey, this person needs help in this way. And I think especially taking the time to talk to the patient and, you know, figuring out what's going on on, on a deeper level, uh, that, that can mean so much more than just uh, this writing it off and saying, you know, there's this person's just not being competent at the moment. So thank you for that. I'm like very, like not in the medical field, so I'm not sure. Like, do you feel like there's enough focus in the process of like becoming a provider on patient care and like how to talk to patients because both of you very instinctually seem like empathetic and like considerate human beings but (laughs) in the case that those are skills that need to be fostered in other people do you think like enough I guess opportunities are almost mandated that people have to learn those skills before they start really interacting with patients and have that power um I would say they're getting better now. They have standardized patients. All the medical students have to do certain exams on, have to do certain interviews with. Um, they say empathy can be developed over time. I think some mm-hmm. people need more work than others. I think that's the job of the faculty to kind of figure out those students <laughs> and like kind of help guide them to right. be more empathetic. So I would say there's mm-hmm. opportunity. Some people need more help than others. <laughs> And hopefully they'll, <laughs> yeah. that is a different thing to learn though. I mean, I'm thinking about people. Get who, it. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm thinking about people who are in my own class um, <laughs> at Stony Brook. And I've heard some really interesting things being said, like in light of, um, I guess, the past events in like over the past year, I suppose. But there's so much, I think, ignorance that maybe people don't realize is being fostered in Harvard. And that really needs to be addressed, but there has to be somebody who's there to tell them, hey, you need to start here and start looking into resources to work on this. Because I think that, I mean, it's a bit scary too, I think, to think that some people who are, might be ignorant going into med school and these are people who could potentially, you know, affect lives, I guess, in the long run. And I'm glad that there's people like you, Valjean, who are, who are there. And yeah, <laughs> hopefully that's not something that only falls to you and there's other people like allies who are there along with you to make that difference in a positive way. Yeah, definitely. So on that note, I think that, thank you so much for coming out. This really means a lot to us. Um, I think coming out in two ways, coming out to our (laughs) podcast. Sorry, that was a really bad (laughs) one. But thank you so much. It really does mean a lot. And uh, yeah, thank you. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah. Sure, thanks for inviting me. Thanks again to Valjean for joining us. At the end of each episode, Shreetha and I want to go through some interesting topics in further detail for those of you who may not be as familiar or who simply want more detail. On that note, Shreetha will start. 
Okay, so I'm not a bio major, so could you explain what an EMT is and exactly does? Yeah, I mean, you don't have to be a bio major to understand what an EMT is. Um, personally, I'm a biochemistry major, but that's totally fine. I forgive you. Okay, uh, so. I'm graduating in three years, so. Okay, well, whatever. some of us have school for the next five years. Well, hopefully if we get into med school. I mean, if well, you know what I mean. Anyway, um, so EMT stands for Emergency Medical Technician. When you call 911, EMTs like me and Valjean show up and are responsible for treating the patient and also transporting them. Fun fact, my parents are more likely to trust me with an ambulance than a car. Anyway, I think I might buy the pins that Valjean mentioned. What do you think? Oh, yeah. So the pins, we actually had a meeting last year when we were part of Hall Council and they had a presentation and the pins are essentially what they sound like. Um, they're pins with your preferred pronouns, and while Jean mentioned that he wears them um, when he's doing rounds in the hospital, is that the correct medical term? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's a way of making people sort of feel more comfortable in whatever their gender expressions are and just accommodating the idea that gender is a spectrum and kind of going away from this binary idea that we've been taught. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting because after Valjean, we interviewed with Valjean, uh, our editor Jameson said that he went for his vaccine first dose and on the forms that he had to fill out, they asked for his preferred name, pronouns, sex assigned at birth, and gender identity. I thought that was pretty cool because we had just touched upon that in the interview and it's cool to see that the changes Valjean is looking forward to is kind of already in progress in some ways. So there was actually something else that Valjean mentioned that I personally wasn't hadn't heard of before. It was stealth. Can you go into what that is? Right. So I searched up stealth on the internet and its definition technically is the term stealth in its most extreme sense refers to a person who passes as their desired sex or gender at all times and who has broken contact with everybody who knew their gender history. So I actually kind of started to read like articles about people's experiences and it is what it sounds like when someone normally uh, is transitioning or is, is done transitioning, they move away from everyone they know and, and knew their like previous gender history and assume a life where they were their preferred gender their whole life. And the, the article I was reading actually talked about something really interesting where it was so much easier to do like before social media because your circle was just the people that you knew and now it's a lot more complicated because you also have like an internet persona that you then kind of have to redo so i thought that was pretty interesting yeah i was i was looking into um specifically for publications like if somebody um for instance like valjean has a phd and uh, while we didn't get the chance to ask him about it uh, he does have some publications because he is a PhD. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought that was interesting that like maybe somebody's dead name could appear on their publications. But like when you look Valjean up, you wouldn't know that that's his publication because the name is different. Right. Do you know what a dead yeah. name is? Hmm? Do you know what a dead what? name is? Oh, yeah. It's like your name before. Transitioning. You know, yeah, you transition. Yeah. 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 So that's our brief run through for today. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Twitter at Query Diagnosis, which also has our website. We'll see you next time. Bye.